mom and dad and the, the struggles that they're having with their health. I thank you, Lord, that you're mindful of each one of us. I thank you, Lord, that you care about what we care about and what affects our lives. I thank you, Lord, that you love us and that you hear our prayers. It's through your son's name that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So last week we had some wonderful discussions about... Oh, yeah, I don't care if you do. It's up to you. Yeah. Uh, we had some wonderful discussions about Samson in general. And a couple people reminded me we never went through the story of Samson. And um, for some, you know, I, I, they may not have that story kind of as one of the things that they know all the details to. So we are going to go step by step through the story pretty quickly today. Um, and there are some lessons to be learned and some comments to be made. So please raise your hand if there's something that we kind of touched on last week and you want to expand. Or if we talk about a part of the story and there's a lesson to be learned or something that's interesting from it, um, feel free to raise your hand and we'll make some comments as we go through um, I think we will finish up Samson today, and if so, next week we'll talk about Samuel and then Israel choosing a king. Um, so that'll be kind of one, one week before we get into the kings. We will not spend much time in the kings because there's a lot there, but we're going to spend time maybe on Saul, David, and Solomon uh, will be the ones there. So, um, but I think we should be able to finish out Samson this week. So Judges 13 through 16 is the storyline that we're talking about. As we talked about last week, Judges 13, 1. And anytime you're in Judges, it's always good to read this verse that comes up over and over. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And so the Lord basically lets them be conquered by the Philistines this time. And there's several countries and, and people that he allowed them to be conquered by. So that cycle in Judges that we've talked about over and over. So last week we talked about Samson's parents are Manoah and his wife, and they are praying about having a child. And the angel of the Lord appears to his wife and tells him about this child you're going to have. And this is where we talked about the idea that he was supposed to be a Nazarite. Does anybody remember what a Nazarite means? Not what the vow means, but what the actual word means, Nazarite. Set apart for God's service, or for God's special service. Very good. So this is someone who is set aside for a special purpose for God, right? So um, Jerry had a really good question about Nazarite and Nazareth. So the Nazarite vow, the first we see it apparently is in number 6. And I don't see, Jerry, a connection to Nazareth. At least I can't find one. And, and Tony, I think you, you and I talked. So I don't know that there's any connection there. It's, it's a separate vow. But we see it in Numbers chapter 6. There are other people who are Nazarites. Samuel's one. Anybody know who the other one was that we talk about a lot in the Bible? Kept the Nazarite vow his entire life, which is not usual. And he's in the New Testament. John the Baptist, that's right. He was a Nazarite as well. Uh, we do see that a Nazarite, a person who takes that vow, can be a man or a woman, and it's usually for a period of time. It's not usually for their entire life. Uh, it's for a period of time. And so uh, Samson is, before he's born, his parents are told that he's going to be a Nazarite, and that meant that he's not to drink anything that's made from grapes, not to touch anything unclean, death particularly, that sort of thing. Uh, and that he's not to let a razor touch his head so that his hair grows, okay? That's kind of what set him apart. Um, we briefly hit on the fact that I don't know why God made Samson a Nazarite. 
right? I mean, he is set aside for God's special purpose, but aren't there lots of people in the Bible that were set aside for God's special purpose that weren't Nazarites, right? But God, you know, Gideon, right? Gideon didn't take a Nazarite vow, and we just talked about him, right? Um, Joshua, Joshua didn't take a Nazarite vow. We talked about him and what he did. Uh, So we don't know why, but we don't need to know why. We don't see Samson's parents going, God, why can't he shave his head? That doesn't make sense, because I'll tell you, that doesn't make any sense to me. Why does he shake it? Why can't he shave his head? How in the world does long hair for a period of time set you aside for God, right? I don't have an answer because I'm not supposed to have an answer. God said, hey, I want you to do X. And they said, okay, we're going to do X, right? Uh, And I think there's a a good lesson there. We've talked about it before. I don't always have to understand the why. It is nice to understand the why. We do see people that ask God the why and they get an answer. But it's also okay to say, God said do X. So what am I going to do? I'm going to do X, right? Because God said it. And uh, it may not make sense. And, that, you know, why unleavened bread? You know, why, why first day of the week? Why, why do you need to be dipped all the way? In, I mean, Cord, that doesn't make any sense to get all the way wet. Can a few spring? doesn't make any sense. Yeah, guess what? I don't always have to understand the why. Now, we can go back and find out the whys on all those I just mentioned. But I don't have to understand them to be able to obey God. Sometimes what I need to be able to do is obey God. And then that's okay to study and try to get deeper, but I'm a firm believer we don't do enough of the blind obedience. Maybe that's the wrong word. That sounds bad when I say it that way. But when it comes to God, I don't know, that's probably not a bad way to go. If God commanded it, it's probably the end of the discussion. That's tough for someone like me because I've always got an argument for something, right? I've always got a reason. I've always got a, but what about my opinion? But what about, but what about, but what about? And God is very patient with people when we see that sometimes. But sometimes he says, uh, how about you shut up and build the ark, right? You know, get in the ark. We can talk about it, but once the floodwaters come, I'm not going to keep explaining it to you. So um, anyway, so Nazarite vow. Don't know why? Do the vow. So, all right. So Samson grows up. And in Judges 14, we see the first kind of where Samson's out and about. And he goes down to this area called Timnah. And it's where the Philistines are. And Samson sees a woman in Timnah in Judges 14. And he comes back to his parents and says, get her for my wife. I want a wife. I want her. Um, So let's talk about this for a minute. Should the Israelites be looking for a spouse among the Philistines? Had God given them any instruction about it? Right, the, the Philistines shouldn't even be there, right? Had they done what they were supposed to, Tony said they're part of the people that should have been driven out. They were supposed to be driven out, right? But God gave instructions about those people, right? You drive them out, do not marry them. Now, please do not mistake this, and I've seen this done, where this is an idea about cultural, racial marriages. No, it has nothing to do with that. God's chosen people, God did not want his chosen people to marry idolaters. He said, if you marry those people that have idols and that worship other gods, be careful because they may take you away from me. What is the book of Judges about? 
the repeated cycle of God's people falling away from him because they didn't get rid of the people and the, they didn't follow what God said and they fall right into the trap and they get their heads turned one way or the other. Deuteronomy 7, you shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and he will destroy you quickly. And what happens? They get taken into captivity. Twelve times in the book of Judges because they didn't do what God told them to do. Samson's supposed to be set apart. He goes down and he sees a Philistine woman and says, Mom and Dad, I want her as my wife. Now, at this point, how much does he know about this woman? How much time has he spent interacting with her? Has he talked to her? Now, he hasn't even said a word to her. We know that because later it says he, comes, he talks to her for the first time. He hasn't even talked to her. So what does this mean? There is only one standard by which Samson is using. Lust. That's the word I have written down. Is that a good standard? Now, I am not taken away from sexual attraction. When I walked across campus and my wife saw me, she fell in love, right? Before she knew who I was. She's only human court. You can't blame her for that, right? So I understand the power of that. Please do not think I'm taking away attraction or sexual attraction. Samson is choosing a wife, having never spoken to her, doesn't know the family, doesn't know that she's God-fearing. In fact, probably knows she's not God-fearing. This is not when we look in the old days and we're going to go find a wife among these. This is not an arranged marriage where we know the family and the people and they're God's people. This is, wow, she looks good. I'm going to take her for a wife. That is not the standard he's supposed to be using. And how does that work out? It's a happily ever after, right? No. Anytime we use a standard different from what God says we should use, there are consequences, right? And we're going to see through this story some pretty quick consequences. Yeah. We're going to see people lose their lives over this decision over the next few days. All right? We're going to see a lot of people lose their lives, in fact. Um, now, uh, Tracy mentioned last week a verse, and I'm going to mention it again because I don't understand how it plays in. In Judges 14.4, we know Samson's not supposed to go to the Philistines and intermarry. We know he's not supposed to choose someone there. But in 14.4 it says it was because, or it was from the Lord because he was seeking a chance to fight them. So I'm taking that to mean God was okay with Samson picking a fight. I, I, that's, what, that's what I see here. And I don't know how that interplays with Samson's disobedience of the previous orders. So I don't have a good answer there right? I don't have a good answer because God had told them don't intermarry, don't go to the Philistines. Samson's going to the Philistines to marry. He's using a bad choice. But in 14.4, uh, because he was seeking a chance to fight them. So I don't have a great answer as to how that plays out. I will say this, other than in his death, it is the only approval we see of any action that Samson takes in his life. That's a pretty sad statement, isn't it? All the other stuff, even when he defeats a thousand Philistines, when he defeats 30 and kills people, we don't see a single time. In fact, we see after he kills 30, he said, well, next time I'll be innocent of their blood, meaning he knows he's not innocent of their blood. We do not see a single other approving statement about Samson's life other than in his death. And that's a sad statement from a man who was set aside, set apart, given superhuman strength. That's a sad statement.
Um, all right, so um, Samson says this is the wife he wants. So as per the custom, he and his father go down. They speak to the woman for the first time. They arrange this marriage. And with this marriage, there's going to be a feast. And it's a seven-day feast. And then there's going to be the wedding ceremony. And it's all kind of part of the same thing. And during this feast, uh, Samson... Well, first of all, I've got to go back and tell the story. Sorry, because not everybody... So when Samson's going down to Timnah, anybody remember what happens? What special thing happens on the way? The lion, right? A lion rushes at him. Now... I've heard it said because of the area this was probably a mountain lion and that may be the case. However, if you don't know the natural roaming habitat at this time, lions like we view in Africa roamed in the Middle East as did cheetahs. Uh, They were found all the way up into the southern part of Asia, um, at least into the around 0 AD or so. Uh, They still roam there. So this could be a what you would call an African lion or it could be more of a mountain lion. Neither one of which I want to be attacked by, okay? Uh, neither one of which is a cat, right? Um, when we were in Africa, our second trip, so it was quite a while ago, uh, we met part of the Maasai tribe. And if you know the Maasai, they've been in several movies through the years. Um, and one of the uh, chiefs of a village, we were going to go on a walking tour of the area. And that's a little dangerous, right? Because there's animals in the area, right? So I can remember us, uh, our guide had arranged, we met up with the chief and one of his assistant chiefs, I guess is what he called him, and then another gentleman who was there just to help us for safety. And when we, before we got there, I thought, you know, are we going to have somebody that's got a gun and a rifle, right? Because there's lions, there's elephants. And then we met the chief. And I will say this, my worries, because my daughters were with me, they were nine and 11, my wife, petite, sweet Emily, whose idea of roughing it is the Marriott double queen bed instead of king bed, right? That's, that's for her, it's roughing it. Now, we're in the middle of the African forest, and we're going to be walking around, so I want some people with some guns walking with us. Nobody had a gun. But then when I met the chief, my fears went away. When I, he was a nice man. We talked for a while. He was one of the most impressive physical specimens I've ever met. We came up to a creek, and I thought, there's no way for me to jump across this creek. I could get a running start. I'm not going to make it, okay? And so he said, why don't you take off your shoes, roll your uh, pants up a little. You'll be able to walk across it and not get too wet. Then he scooped up my daughter in one hand, my other daughter in the other hand, and leaped across the creek, and I went, I'm going to stay close to that man. That man is just fine, he said. I said, so you don't worry about being out here. He said, when I turn 13, there's a ritual we go through. He said, I was circumcised. I was given a spear. And I was sent out into the woods for 30 days until I killed a lion with this spear. I went, girls, we're going to be just fine. I'm not the least bit worried. In fact, I'm more worried in the car than I am with this guy out in the woods, right? He killed a lion with his spear. Now, it was a three-and-a-half-foot-long spear. wasn't his hands, but still. And he had just gotten circumcised. That's a whole different discussion as a urologist that I appreciated, right? Samson kills a lion with his hands. Not with a spear, not with a knife, with his hands. 
And it says, remember, so this is something that we mistake. When we see these kids' pictures of Samson's, what do we show? This big, we don't have any idea. He probably didn't look any different than anyone else. His strength was not because he had muscles. That's where we make the mistake. His strength was not because he had super, you know, he's not an NFL guy. How do we know that? Shaved his head, his strength went away. If it was because of his muscles, his muscles wouldn't have gone away when his hair was shaved. And it says, the strength of the Lord rushed upon him in Judges chapter 14. So he kills this lion with his bare hands because of his superhuman. This is not just a really strong guy. This is superhuman. This is not physically possible type of strength. And he kills this lion. Goes down to Timnah, sees the woman. He's coming back. And what does he find? Comes across the lion carcass. Honey in the lion, right? And he dips down and he takes some. So first of all, that's a violation of his Nazarite vow, right? Because he's not supposed to be around dead things that are unclean. But he dips down and he eats the honey, okay? This is going to play into what happens during the feast because he doesn't tell his parents. He takes the honey to him, doesn't tell him. Goes back down for the feast. And there's these 30 people from the Timnah people that come to the feast. And Samson, in all of his humility, I'm just kidding, his arrogance figures, I'm going to trick him. I've got a riddle. Not only am I going to trick him, I'm going to take some pretty good riches from him. And he bets them 30 sets of garments, okay? Now, nowadays, that's a big deal. I'd go to Walmart, and I'd spend $40 on a set of something, or $50, that'd be $1,000, $1,500. No, 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 no. People back then might have owned two or three sets of garments total. Because it meant multiple animals died for you to have one set of garments, okay? Or somebody weaved a lot of sheep's wool for you to have one set of garments. It was likely several months' wages to go buy a set of garments if you couldn't make them yourself. So 30 sets, that's two or three years' worth of wages. $300,000 bet here because it's 30 people. It's a big deal for any one of them to lose one set. For Samson to lose 30, it's a big deal. He's going to get rich off of this. So he puts this riddle out there, right? And the riddle appears in Judges chapter 14. Out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. And he poses it and says, if you can solve it by the end of the feast, I'll give you 30 sets of garments. If you can't solve it, you give me 30 sets of garments, okay? So Samson is sure he has them. He's being pretty arrogant here. Samson's made a bet. And, of course, Samson has no weakness in his life that's going to give in to this, right? Wrong. These people go to his proposed wife and say, wait a minute, you're one of us. You need to find out the answer for us. And she goes into Samson and says, why don't you tell me the answer? And she tries and she tries. And she finally pulls the most potent um, weapon a woman has to a man. What is it? She cries. I used to have a rule when I was a dean. I wanted to limit the number of crying students in my office per day because I have a weakness for crying students because they remind me of my daughters, and it's still terrible. If my daughters want something, ugh, I'm a sucker, and they know it too. They don't call me. They FaceTime me if they really want to get away with something. She goes to Samson every day. He won't tell her. He won't tell her the answer. Finally, he gives the answer. He gives in. She goes and tells the people, and they come and give the answer. Now, Samson was pretty arrogant. He thought he had him. He thought he had him tricked. When he finds out he's losing this bet, 
What's his reaction? Oh, man. No. Yeah. Samson kills 30 people because of this. Think about that. His arrogance, his bad choice. Now 30 people die. Did these 30 people deserve to die? No, he went somewhere else that wasn't even involved in the riddle. Kills 30 people, takes their garments and brings it back to pay off his debt. Then he gets mad and he leaves. And what happens to his proposed wife? The dad said, well, I thought you didn't want her. He gives her away to, the, to someone else, to the, bridegroom, to the uh, best man. Samson loses his wife. He kills 30 people, loses a bet. His ego's bruised because of his arrogance. I would say the lesson here, um, pride and arrogance always leads to sin. I, I can't think of a single time in the Bible, and maybe I'm wrong here, where pride and arrogance is a good thing, save the one time when Paul says, if I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast in one thing. What is that? Christ, right. So let's, let's take that. If you're boasting in Christ, great. That's not your pride and arrogance. That's what you're saying. I can, God can do anything. You know, Jesus. I cannot think of another single time where pride or arrogance is rewarded. How many times in Proverbs do we hear warnings about pride and arrogance? Proverbs 16, everyone who is arrogant in their heart is an abomination to the Lord. Wow, that one's pretty strong. That one's pretty strong, an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. Samson's pride and arrogance cost him pretty dearly here. And that should be a real warning for us. Because I see it a lot in Christians. I see it a lot in me and I worry about it. Am I proud? Am I arrogant because of what God is doing? Or because of what I'm doing? Look at what, you know, I, I've, Dale Jenkins is one of my best friends. He's come up here and he said one of the biggest struggles for preachers is when God blesses a church is a preacher will want to naturally take that credit. And they have to fight that. Because it's easy for a preacher to say, I went to that church and look at how I grew that church. It's easy for us to say, we implemented this program and look at how it grew the church. I'm for good preachers, I'm for good programs, I'm for growing churches, but it is always God. It is always God. And it is really easy to let that pride and arrogance creep in. And we would never say, I'm proud. What we'd say is, look at what we've accomplished. In a great court, what we accomplished here. As long as that we includes God, in Jesus and no one else I'm good with that but when it starts to include other people when the spirit sorry when it starts to include me now nothing wrong with we we want to work hard on a Saturday and accomplish something on a Saturday at the end of the day we say this was a good day this was a good day's work hopefully we've accomplished good things but pride and arrogance really easy for Christians really easy really easy to talk about how good I've been in my life Right? That's where I see a lot of pride and arrogance come in. And those sinners over there, especially those that want to be a part of our family, I mean, have they earned that right yet? Because, right? see, I earned my place. Mm, mm, mm. 
Pride and arrogance can display itself in me thinking that my sins were an abomination to God. My sins didn't separate me from God. Because maybe I was or wasn't an addict, or maybe I was or wasn't a murderer, or maybe I was or wasn't an adulterer, or maybe I was or wasn't a thief. You know what my sins were to God? They weren't minor sins. God didn't think they were okay. God said, Stephen, you're going to die in hell because of your sins. Oh, now you're a Christian. What sins? And it's no different than any, and and that's where I see pride and arrogance is I think my sins, my life was not an abomination to God like these other people's lives are. And that's where I see it the most in the modern day Christian. The idea that they had a worse life. Yeah, I, I just don't see God saying, well, you know, Stephen, you grew up in the church. You really didn't even need to be baptized. I mean, you never didn't. Even, you were just a part of the church. Though. Nope. At some point, he looked at my life and said, Stephen, I can't even be around you. You're despicable. You're disgusting. You're going to be in hell for eternity. Oh, Stephen, you're a child of mine. You're a, at some point, that changed. And if I didn't ever have that, then I never felt like I needed God, and then Jesus wasted his time. That's where I see pride and arrogance, is I want to hold people and their sins have to be they have to get out of their sin before they come to us, right? That LGBTQT person, they better not even be tempted before they want to be a Christian. Really? Were you tempted to gossip after you became a Christian? Were you tempted with money? Were you tempted with arrogance? Were you tempted? Have you ever lusted since you became a Christian? How dare we hold them to another standard? That's where I see pride and arrogance come in. I'm going to hold them to a standard that I wasn't held to and I don't want to be held to. All right? Now, I'm not saying somebody can flounder in their sin and flaunt it. But if you think we're going to bring people to Christ and they're never going to sin again, no matter how disgusting that sin was, you are wrong. I have sinned much more since I became a Christian than before I became a Christian. I've been a Christian for 39 years. The first five or six, seven years of my life, I couldn't sin because I didn't know what sin was. I don't know at what point that changed over. I've sinned a hundred times more as a Christian than I did as a non-Christian. I'm not proud of that. What I'm proud of the fact is that God has forgiven that. And what I have to do is look at others and say, you know what? Their life is no different than mine was. Their life is no different than mine was. How dare I hold them to a standard? You know, when they get it all together, they can come to this church. Ooh, I'm glad nobody held me to that standard. I'm glad nobody looked at me after I was a teenager and become a Christian and thought, hmm, is that the word that should have come out of his mouth? Oh, is that really what he should have thought in his mind when he saw her? Yeah, I'm glad God forgave those sins as well and that he's let me be a part of his family. So that's where I see arrogance in the modern day Christian is the idea that my life was so much better than someone else's life is. Mm-hmm. Any comments about that? Sorry, I'm shooting through things to make sure we get the story told. <laughs> Tony has a good one. Also, selective memory. That's right. Because it's hard for me to remember the really horrible things I've done. Or maybe I remember one or two, right? Yeah. But when I look at someone else's life, I can sure bring it up. I can sure bring up their struggles. That's a lot easier, isn't it? Because I can sleep at night. The good thing is... God doesn't have that selective memory, isn't it? As a Christian, he looks at you and says, what sin? Are you saying you don't have sin? I'm saying because of Christ, I don't have sin. I have sin in my life, but because of Christ, he has taken it all away. 
And he's taken away that other person's sin that came to him as well, even when they had a horrible life and even when they mess up afterwards. So, All right. So, arrogance and 30 people die. Chapter 15, Samson comes back down to Timnah. He's kind of let things settle down. A few days later, he comes back down. He sees his, what was going to be his father-in-law, and his father-in-law said, what do you mean you want to come back down and be with your wife? I gave her away. She's married to the best man. She's gone. You, you threw a fit. I'm going to paraphrase here. You acted like a baby. You took your ball and you went home. And so we went on without you. And this is devastating to Samson. How can the world go on without him? He was mad. He was angry. He's the center of the universe, right? His wife is gone. So now in chapter 15, now that he lost the riddle and he killed 30 people, now he's lost his wife. He's really mad now. So now he's going to throw a real fit. Mm -hmm. In 14 verse 9 it says, In hot anger. It's the way it describes Samson's actions. In hot anger. How often does angry lead to righteousness? Yeah, that was me, sorry. How often does angry, Danny? says thank you James chapter 1 119 yep okay yeah where it says uh, uh, the anger of man does not accomplish the will of God or something to that effect mm -hmm. yeah. yeah in other words it, the anger of man almost always directly stands in the way of God's will now here's what we do as Christians there's one story in the Bible we love to turn to when we're angry to justify our actions what do we talk about? It's the word, and the word righteous indignation comes out of it. Anybody know that one story we love to justify? Jesus cleansing the temple, right? So anytime I act, anytime I'm mad, and I want to make sure I didn't see, oh, well, Jesus cleansed the temple. All right, so first of all, I better make sure my life is right just like Jesus was. Yeah, it's probably not likely. Second of all, Jesus is not doing it to defend himself. It is his father's house, the temple. They've been commanded many, many times about it. They've been given examples. They've been thrown out. They kept coming back. And third of all, we know Jesus didn't sin. We see 99.9% .9 of his life he did not act this way. 0.1% of the time he did when he knew it was right and justified and it wasn't about himself. I probably needed that same ratio in my life, don't I? And if I get that same ratio in my life, I probably can, can claim that one time my righteous indignation. But that's not what we do. What we do is we get mad, and then afterwards we want to justify that anger. We want to say, well, you know, they were, they were attacking God's people. So, when I look through the New Testament, I don't see that defense as an adequate reason to be mad. They were coming after my kids. I'm not talking about defending your house at night when somebody breaks in. But have you ever heard a Christian say this? Well, you know what? I'm, I'm fine with turning the other cheek until you come after my kids. Really? That's still sin. It's still sin. So what? They verbally came after your kids. So what? They made your kids look stupid. I'm not saying your kids have to be everybody's punching bag. But where in the Bible doesn't make an exception for they came after my wife, they came after my kids, they came after me. In fact, I see that as not being an exception. I'm supposed to turn the other cheek. But what we like to do, oh, well, it was all well and good until they came after the flag. Oh, oh my goodness, I brought in politics. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. All right? 
Oh my goodness. Yeah. So that's what we have our hot button topics. And then we want to justify our response by saying it's righteous indignation. No. No, 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 no. I've never seen a Christian's anger lead to righteousness. I'm not saying it can't because Jesus did it. But I've never seen it. I've never seen it in myself. I've never seen anger lead to righteousness. God has anger, and it is always perfect. Jesus did it once, and it was perfect. But I've never seen it in a Christian because we have so many other things that make us stumble. And almost always, that anger is about me. It's not about God. I'm not saying it can't be, and I'm not saying you can't do it. I'm just saying I've never seen it, okay? So it can be done, but I've never seen it. So Samson's now really angry. Apparently when he killed 30 people, he was sort of angry. Now he's really angry. So Samson, (laughs) he goes out and catches 300 foxes. This is just fascinating to me. I can't imagine the time it would take me to capture 300 foxes. I don't know what time. They didn't have those little square things you buy at the farmer's co-op that has, you know. I don't know if he caught them by hand. I don't know if he lassoed them. I don't know if he put a snare. But 300 foxes? How much area did you have to cover? That's not 10 acres, right? He captures 300 foxes. He takes a torch, and he ties these 300 foxes' tails together with a torch lit between them. And then he lets them loose in the grain fields. That has got to be a sight to see. He lets them loose. It destroys. In today's, I mean, it would have destroyed millions of dollars worth of crops. Back then, it would have been thousands and thousands of dollars worth of crops. And they don't just say, oh, well, our crops did poorly. Let's order them from somewhere else. I mean, this is a big deal. This is their livelihood. This is how they're going to make bread for the next seven months. You don't just replant it right then. You have seasons. So in 15.3, he seeks, he gets these foxes. He sets them out. He burns the fields. The Philistines seek to revenge, so they kill his wife that he no longer had as a wife. They killed his father-in-law that was no longer his father-in-law, okay, because of Samson's anger. So Samson decides he's going to seek revenge. Judah comes out, the tribe of Judah comes out with 3,000 men to Samson and says, what have you done? The Philistines are our rulers. Now, there's an entire lesson there. Should Judah have accepted the fact that the Philistines were the rulers? No. Right. The, the, we won't even talk about the Israelites abdicating their responsibility, right, to get rid of the Philistines, to cry out to God. To, so we won't even do that. Judah comes out and says, Samson, this, you know, you're going to get us in trouble. We need to turn you in. So Samson's like, okay, I'll play well. If you promise me you won't hurt me, you can tie me up and take me to the Philistines. They tie him up. They take him to the Philistines, and he gets there. He breaks free, takes the jawbone of a donkey, and he kills a thousand men with his bare hands and a jawbone. Think of the brutality of that. A thousand men come out, doesn't matter. This is not just because he's a really good fighter. This is not just because he's really strong. This is superhuman, God-given strength. He kills a thousand men. Unbelievable the, what he accomplishes. That is because God gives him this strength upon him. The lesson there is we can do anything with God's strength. Now, that is a great motto for sports teams, right? It's a great motto for um, advocacy groups, and it's a great motto for businesses, and it's not meant for any of that. No, it does not mean a sports team can do all things through Christ who strengthen them. It does not mean 
that a company can accomplish all things with God behind it. That's not what that motto is about. It's about the fact that when God gives me the strength to do something, I can do it because God gave me that strength to accomplish his will. Has nothing to do with sporting field. Has nothing to do with the business world, even though it gets used for that all the time. We get in the New Testament, I can do all things who strength, Christ who strengthens me. One of the top three most misused verses in the Bible, along with judge not, judge not and um, God is love. Right? They're all completely taken out of context and misused. So the idea is when God gives me the strength to accomplish something, I can accomplish it. I shouldn't be scared to. I shouldn't be worried. If it's according to God's will and he gives me the strength, I need to step out and do it. So Samson kills a thousand people. And then being the wonderful person that he is, he goes down and finds a prostitute. Judges chapter 16, goes down, lives with the prostitute, then leaves her. And later in that chapter, he finds a girlfriend, lives with her, Delilah. Samson is just a bad guy. We talked about it last week. Bad choice after bad choice after bad choice. Anger, arrogance, murder, even when it's not justified. Prostitutes, sleeping with whoever. Samson's a terrible dude. But as we get to the end of his life, we're going to see him finally do what he should have been doing his entire life. So he gets Delilah. And Delilah's, the people come to Delilah want to know what Samson's secret is. If you tell us, we'll give you hundreds of pieces of silver. Okay? Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pieces of silver is what it comes out to be. She's going to be a rich woman. Okay? He lies to her. Four times she comes to him. He lies to her about where his strength comes from. She sets him up for a siege. He breaks free. He destroys the people trying to capture him. Now, let me ask this. The first time, okay, you fall for it. You give a false answer. They set you up. The second time, the third. How many times do you keep giving an answer before you say, you know what, I can't trust you? And even worse, it's not even that he kept giving a false answer. Then he gives the right answer after all of that. He gives the right answer. What's Samson's weakness? It's lust. Yeah. It's women. And Satan knew it. And Satan used it. I've said it every time I get the opportunity. Satan will find what our weakness is and he will use it. If you have a problem with money, do not buy a lottery ticket because Satan's going to make sure you win. He's going to make sure your business is successful. He's going to make sure you get a retirement that's a lot of money. If that's what Satan can do to take us away from God. He used Samson's weakness. Delilah finds out the truth, shaves his head. All of a sudden, he gets captured. He's lost everything. Samson's not a strong dude. We know that because he shaves his head, he loses his strength. If it was about he could bench press, and if it was about he was physically intimidating, shaving his hair would not have mattered. It is pure, for all we know, he was 5'1 and 85 pounds. We don't know. We've pictured him big and strong. I don't know why we do that. It is not about physical strength. It's always about the Spirit of God coming upon him to give him that strength. Samson gets captured. They gouge his eyes out. This, the Philistines say, this is a man who has tormented us, and now our gods, they say our gods have given him over to us. Samson goes to prison, and he works pushing the mill, the grinding wheel on the mill. As he does that, his hair grows back. 
but he doesn't get his strength back. His hair grows back. He doesn't get his strength back. There's now a big feast that occurs to the Philistine god Dagon. 3,000 rulers of the Philistines. These are the governors, the kings, the lords. 3,000 of them together in one temple. They parade Samson out as a spectacle. And the first thing I see that Samson does that is righteous in his life is in his, right before his death, he prays to God. And he humbly, he asks please twice, and he asks for God. He humbly asks for God to help him avenge what has happened in his life. And in his death, he gets the spirit of the Lord, the strength of the Lord, and kills 3,000 Philistine leaders by taking down the temple. And it says he accomplishes more in his death than he ever did in his life. What a sad statement for someone that could have accomplished so much. But God came back to him when he humbly approached him at the end of his life. So that's the story of Samson. Questions or comments? Interjections? Laments? Uh, not that I know of. Yeah. Other questions or comments? Thank you, everybody. We'll get on to Samuel next week.